Um, so Bishop Stewart asked me to teach on, I think, launching a new church or a new ministry. And uh, that's a pretty wide <laughs> like, uh, subject. And there's a lot of ways you can go about that. So just as an introduction to myself, my name's Scott, and I uh, helped plant a church in Madison, Wisconsin from Res about three years ago, I think. Um, I'd never launched anything before then, but definitely did it. I'm what they called a parachute drop church plant. So like my wife and I moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and there was nothing. And uh, then by the power of God, there was something. And so our church still exists, uh, and we're thriving, and uh, God has been really good to us. So more than just like a way of how to launch a church or a church plant or whatever, I thought it would be better for us to biblically look at how God calls people to start new things and what it feels like to be a part of God calling you to start something new. Uh, so we'll take a look at that biblically in Acts 16 and then also think about that in our story and I'll just explain what that was like for us. But the main thing that I hope it's helpful, which uh, I found to be super helpful, is thinking about what it looks like to discern where God is calling you in ministry. And uh, when I was in your situation, I lived in England and worked for Anglican churches in England and was at a similar thing like Gregory House. And I remember I was trying to discern my calling and never in a thousand years would I have imagined I would have ended up in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm not from Wisconsin, not even from the Midwest. Um, so part of this is gonna be a time for you to kind of get some biblical uh, nourishment into your own discernment process. So, um, I don't know what else to say about me. I, I'm originally from the South, from Memphis and Texas. Uh, I did a re residency at Res for two years before I planted. I have three boys, James, Aaron, and Bo. My wife's name is Marissa. She's super awesome. And uh, yeah, I live in Wisconsin. It's wild. So here's my opening question for you guys. What's your name? Uh, are you, what do you do right now? And uh, where are you at in your discerning of your call to ministry? My hunch is, if you're in Gregory House, uh, not everybody who does a ministry residency necessarily feels called to vocational ministry forever. But I would love to hear, like, what, what are you thinking and where are you at in that stage process or whatever. So, you want to start? Sure. Uh, my name is Addie. And hey, Addie. Uh, so, yeah, first year Gregory House resident. I studied music in college, so... What instrument? Violin. All right. So I, I did too. Music? How are you conserving? Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. my wife and I were both conservatory students. Okay. At uh, Wheaton? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I was piano, but I'm a bad piano player, uh, which is weird. Uh, so I'm mainly like a guitarist, banjo player, drummer, but I uh, wanted to get better piano. So I was, I'm probably the worst ever piano major at Wheaton College <laughs> uh, of all time. That's my claim to fame. But anyways, yeah. violinist. Yes, yeah. Um, I didn't know that I was really interested in vocational ministry until I started this. Hmm. Uh, and it was more of an interest in res and the culture that I saw here hmm. and knowing that this was a process of discernment. Mm -hmm. and wondering if ministry could be part of that, but then I started in August and like, yes, like I don't hmm. ever want to not be involved in the church. Um, in, in a vocational sense. So I'm working in the tech department and running sound for Sunday services and 
could see myself doing tech needs and, and maybe broader ministry at a church plant in the future. <clears throat> um, so you're doing the residency? Mm-hmm. Two years? Most likely. Okay. And is it full-time or part-time or? Part-time and I'm also teaching violin. Cool. That's awesome. Where are you from? I'm from Central Ohio. Central Ohio. All right. Beautiful. I used to live in Stowe when I was a little kid outside of Akron, outside of Cleveland. So, go Buckeyes. (laughs) May they be in Alabama. Um, Awesome. Well, this will be, I hope, very helpful for you. Um, What about you? Uh, My name is Caleb. Hey, Caleb. I uh, I, um, do uh, youth and college ministry here at the residency. Cool. um, So you have to work with Will? Yeah, I have to. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Will and I were classmates, and so he and I are good friends. Cool. Yeah. But, yeah, so I'm really loving that. Um, I love Will. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, I studied theology at Moody Bible Institute, mm-hmm. and so I kind of known for a while and, and kind of felt the, the call into vocational ministry um, for a while now. I didn't know that that would take an Anglican turn, mm-hmm. um, but in college I got it plugged in, and my wife and I became members at uh, Nate Beasley's church in cool. Westloop. Yeah. And so that's how we kind of got connected, and that's how I found out about Gregory House Residency and all of those different things. Um, so when did you graduate from Moody? What year? Yeah. Uh, spring 2020. Okay, so you were at Cornerstone while you were in school, graduated last year, heard about Gregory House, and were like, yeah. I'll do a ministry residency. And Deacon Clark teaches at as well, so he, yes. I talk with him about He's constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I got plugged into the diocese. Cool. In that way. And my wife actually does um, administrative stuff for me. Cool. So, cool. So that's kind of cool. We're kind of so she works for Greenhouse and you work at RES. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you apply to the residency at RES before you knew, um, before you ever came to RES? Yes, actually. Cool. So I've only ever experienced COVID res. Okay. From what everyone tells me, it's kind of sad. It's very different. Yeah, it's very different. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, so trying to discern, um, you know, future ministry stuff in just terms of like, what will that concretely look like? Like, where will that be type of a thing? My wife and I both like express like we love to, to participate in vocational ministry like within this diocese specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, we're open to church plant um, and being involved with stuff like that, uh, but it's just a matter of trying to figure out kind of when or mm-hmm. do, is there a time of waiting where we're just in the church for a while? Yeah. Um, or uh, do we you know dive in and what we can and um, all of those things but mm. long term I would, I would love to do full time kind of pastoral vocation ministry mm. yeah that's awesome and where are you from? I'm from Ohio as well oh yeah Ashland wow. Ashland. Ashland I lived in Cleveland when I was like itty bitty so I okay gotcha. I just remember like what it's not far from like. Ashland to Cleveland it's not yeah. an hour cool are you a Buckeye fan? yep I grew up in the South, and I just hate Alabama, so <laughs> I, I would love, love Hopefully they can pull it out. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, this will be great for you, too. Well, I'm bored to it. And what about you, Matt? I'm Matt. Um, do you know Brad and Maria Festin? Yes. Okay. My claim to fame is that I married their daughter. Okay. Wait, hold on a second. <laughs> I'm, uh, are they missionaries? They're missionaries in CAR. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. So my wife is also wonderful. Okay. <laughs> um, she's Father Brett's assistant. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. For my story, I kind of I, I left an academic trajectory and kind of um, felt called into uh, ministry, and so uh, Gregory House was just like a really wonderful uh, mm. fit. Were you a Wheaton grad or Moody or? Um, I was I was at the University of Chicago. Cool. Their, their Divinity School. Awesome. Um, Yeah. Just what were you studying at UC? Um, well, I was at there. I did my master's there. Okay. I did. I did go to Wheaton too. Gotcha. Technology, but, um, but yeah, just kind of uh, after like a year of kind of praying and thinking and discerning, I just felt the wow. ministry was was more needed. Uh, I'd be more useful there. As well. um, but yeah, also just uh, Bishop Stewart had just prayed over me, and there's just a lot of strong sense of like ministry. I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like. My wife and I have this uh, problem where we could see ourselves everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Yeah. So that's that's made it really tricky to, to figure out, you know, what, what exactly we see yeah. ourselves doing. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we have a lot of, we're open to a lot of things. So. Yeah. See. Man, where'd you grow up? Uh, just outside Nashville, North Carolina. Cool. So, Absolutely. So, love Asheville. Yeah, it's Kakalaki in general. <laughs> um, man, that's awesome. That's really, really cool. What, so you were doing an MDiv, or would it be an MDiv? It was like, it was more academic, so it was their like MA. Uh, MA in theology or something like that? Yeah, I don't really, didn't really trust them with uh, shaping me for ministry. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But Gregory House was like, oh, I think that's a good... Yeah. <laughs> the Divinity School at University of Chicago to Gregory House is a big shift. Yeah. <laughs> they, know, they know they can't do that. Yeah. They outsource it all. They make you do an internship. So yeah. Just yeah. Like, well, I'll just save money and then do Gregory House. Man. And <laughs> what is your, pay, your... Where Gregory House pays you. To right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the difference. And your wife works for Father Brett. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Man, that's great. All right. Well, um... I want, we're going to begin, I want you guys to dig a little bit deeper into where you're at right now, and then we're just going to completely explode everything by looking at the Bible. Um, okay, three things that I find is really helpful when you're discerning a ministry call, and that is to a movement, to a place, and to a people. So let me just walk through these really quick. You guys have the notes in front of you? So um, I think all of us feel a calling to these places or to these three different things, but uh, often one of them will rank in front of the others. And I'll explain kind of how this works in a second. But first, if you some people are really strongly called to a particular movement. And when I say movement, I mean a particular type of ministry or position or organization or movement of God. So examples I've given there is like, I feel super called to sports ministry. Um, I'm a soccer player. Somehow God has called me 
into ministry through soccer. I don't really care where that happens, but I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And so I'm kind of looking, where's that going to happen? Or theater, or I feel really called to word ministry and to preaching uh, more than I do to anything else. Or I don't know where that's supposed to happen, but I feel called to minister within the Anglican Church. And so I'm going to go to where Anglicanism is happening and be like, here I am, send me. Um, ELIC, here's an example of this. Uh, English Language Institute in China. It's a really awesome missions organization. If any of you ever heard of ELIC, we have dear friends who felt a call to missions and then a call more specifically to this organization, which does missions through uh, teaching in universities in really sketchy, close places around the world, but it's like cloaked because they're teachers, it's awesome. They first felt a call to ELIC, and then from there worked out with ELIC where they would go. So they ended up going to Laos, but they didn't first feel called to Laos or Vientiane or to the university in Vientiane. They first felt called to the movement. That makes sense. And sometimes if you are most, you in your discernment feel most called to that, that's gonna win out. And so it's like, I'm going to begin with feeling called to Anglicanism. And then it's kind of like, I don't really care what I'm doing within Anglicanism or where I'm going. I just feel called to this movement or thing. Does that make sense? Second, some people feel really called to a place. I have a cousin who feels really called to Russia. And so she's currently been there out of college with um, crew. Uh, and she's not really bothered where in Russia or what she's doing in Russia. She just knows I want to be doing ministry in Russia. So if she gets there and she's doing soccer ministry or if she's leading Bible studies, it doesn't bother her. She feels called to Russia. The South, I feel called to go South. I feel called to home. That's a lot of people like, I'm gonna just figure out how to minister at, at where I grew up and I know God's calling me to go back to where I grew up to go home. And then you figure out what movement or what you'll be doing there, but you feel called there first. Um, last two of people. Some people feel most strongly called in all these have biblical precedent, by the way. You can find people in scripture where you see them being called in a way like this. To a particular type of people. So for instance, I put Hmong on there, Hmong population or the Hispanic population. It's like, I have a really huge heart for racial reconciliation between black and white. And then it's not so much, I have to be in a certain place or a part of a certain organization. I'm really seeing what open doors I have to be a part of racial reconciliation in the kingdom of God. And then they go there. I feel called to millennials or intellectuals. I feel called to, to minister in an academic environment, and then you're just looking for open jobs, <laughs> right? So, um, when you buy a house, do any of you own a house? Okay, I didn't own one until recently, so that's totally okay. When you buy a house, people you'll hear people tell you that you are choosing from a triad of price, location, and the quality of the house. And it's like, typically you get one or two. So, you know, unless you're super wealthy, you can't have all three, but then you're gonna pay tons of money. But it's like, what matters most to you? The location, or the price, or where it is, or, you know. And with these, I find that in discernment, sometimes it's really helpful to discern um, which of these gets me most when I'm discerning in the spirit. Uh, is it a particular type of thing that I feel called to? Is it a certain type of place that I feel like God is calling me to, or is it, uh, a certain type of people that I want to minister in the midst of. So um, I find when I've done stuff like this, it's always really helpful instead of me just saying I'm going on to give you like five minutes to write on this. So uh, 
this is definitely something that I think is helpful to discern, talk about as you walk along the way. But I'm gonna give you five minutes. I'd love for you to fill out the I feel called to under each section and just what's your gut. Just don't think about it too much. Just, just write down whatever you think. Um, and then I'd like you to rank at the bottom which one you feel most profoundly called to. Then after five minutes, I'll tell you what I thought when I was your age, and then we'll move on. <laughs> we'll get, we'll talk into Act 16. So I'll set my timer for five minutes. Well, this session is a hundred dollars. I don't know if you knew about that. But. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got my assistant on that. <laughs> we are, uh, we're talking about discerning a call, sometimes we're, we're, we feel called to a movement or a place for people, and we're thinking about that right now, so that's what we're writing about.
finish up just a couple more seconds here. So none of you know what you're going to be doing because you're, uh, you just told me you're discerning, which is great. Um, but since we're so small, if we can just share really quickly, I'd love to know what what's first for you as you think about that. Do you mind starting out, Addie? Sure. Um, movement is definitely first for me. And I'm really struggling. I feel like I'm still discerning which movement kind of is more important in my mind. But there's worship and music and tech and all of that. And then also the upper movement diocese. Mm. And yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. Mm. Cool. <clears throat> Maybe those are married somehow for you. Um, what about you, Caleb? Yeah, movement was also um, in my number one. Um, specifically, like in a more broader way, just kind of the Anglican direction of church and, and tradition, but also more specifically, uh, my wife and I both really felt a call to the Diocese of the Upper Midwest mm. somewhere. Mm. Cool. Mm. Yeah, for me, uh, I like the, the revival word in sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. It's like, yeah, I want to do that. There, for a long time, I felt called to Germany, um, in particular, just had like a lot of family there, and I lived there for a time, and felt, I don't really know, that's sort of fallen off the map, I have no idea if it'll ever come back. Mm. But I also feel called to, I feel like I kind of understand white, like, educated liberals, mm. who, uh, I just sort of feel like I kind of get, you yeah. know, their lingo, I get their concerns, you and I can speak, speak the language, and I lived among trying to figure out his life. He's, I'm trying to get Will to move to Wisconsin at some point in the future. That's an open secret. Uh, I've been trying for a long time. But what do you, what would you say if you're thinking about, I know you're, you're in ministry, but we're also always constantly discerning where God is calling us. Yeah. Um, well, I don't, I don't think I have a ranking of movement, place, or people, but I think within those clarity of certainly called to Anglicanism and with a strong call the upper Midwest. Um, but but not I, I think in kind of first place and second place there, Anglicanism and Upper Midwest. And then and then I think it's to a people. Um, and the words that come to mind are city, which I don't know if that means in a big city or not, in a good place of kind of cultural Um, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing, guys. So when I was in your situation, and I was like literally on the other side of this, uh, I was graduated from college, knew I felt called to, to ministry, uh, and then especially when my wife and I got married, we both had this common gut bond uh, to want to do ministry. And what we felt called to, most importantly, was word ministry in places where there wasn't a lot of word ministry. Um, so we wanted to go where there wasn't 
healthy, thriving churches. And one of my main gifts uh, is teaching and preaching. And so we just wanted to go somewhere and teach the Bible where there wasn't a lot of Bible teaching. And uh, in terms of the place, we didn't care where in the entire world. We just wanted it to be a place where there wasn't a lot of churches. We didn't want to go where there was a lot of foundation already. And in terms of people, the words that kept on coming up to us were spiritual orphans. Um, we had no idea what that meant, but we felt called to go somewhere where there were spiritual orphans. Um, and uh, so that really led us to want to go overseas. My parents run a missions organization and do a lot of work in Bangladesh, and we were like super excited about moving to Bangladesh. So I was getting my master's at Wheaton in biblical exegesis, and we were coming to Res as like a placeholder um, of like, we're not going to be here. Like, I'm not staying in the Ever Midwest. Like, I love the Midwest now, but like most of my life have not loved the Midwest. And so, luggage is packed, you know, in the corner of the apartment. Like, as soon as I finish this degree, we're piecing out. We're going somewhere. We're getting out of here. Um, the only other side of that that we also felt called to is I worked at Apple for the time, and I likewise, like. We had borne a lot of fruit in our life with white, liberal, educated, snobbish, bougie people. <laughs> um, and that was also a place that we felt like oh, something like that. We, we do bear a lot of fruit in these contexts, but that is what we were thinking. But we had no idea what that looked like. Okay, now, grab your Bible. Do you all have a Bible? And everybody open up to Acts 16. This is a crazy, crazy story. It's a lot of fun. You guys there? Okay, this is at the top of your notes, but Acts 16 is a story of discernment, church planting, and gospel breakthrough. It's also a story of God calling Paul and company because uh, we don't exactly know what people are with him, to an unexpected movement, to unexpected places, to unexpected people through unexpected means. So I really studied this a couple years ago, um, and this has had a huge impact on me, but it's also, it's just proven really true in the way that it's worked in my life. And uh, it kind of shows how God honors what he's calling you to right now, but also how he shatters your ideas of what you want to do in really beautiful and amazing ways. So, okay, the context for this, uh, in the, the book of Acts, everything starts Pentecost in Jerusalem, and then it starts spreading out and fanning out, and then the really cool new, like, ministry center becomes Antioch. So think of, like, Wheaton as Antioch. Wheaton College is there. There's, like, this is the first place that people are called Christians. It's this big, thriving ministry center. So you are all currently in Antioch. And um, there's lots of energy. The Jerusalem Council has just happened in Acts 15. So they've just come to this awesome decision about Jew and Gentile. There's like a lot of uh, unity and partnership. So imagine if like the Greenhouse Church, uh, the Greenhouse Movement and the rest of the diocese had some like tension going on. And then there was this huge like, oh, we're all together bad example for Jew and Gentile, but you get what I mean. After that, there's this huge energy, and Paul, 
and some people are ready to go out and do ministry. So um, if you look at the end of Acts 15, I'll just read the end of Acts 15. And after some days, this is after the Jerusalem Council, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That is his goal. Um, he had a first missionary journey. If you look on the back of your, your notes to the map, um, I find maps are super helpful. Um, so if you see Syria over there, um, where Jerusalem is at the bottom, you, see, you guys see Antioch at the top left of Syria, the yellow province. Um, there's Antioch. Again, you can see lots of arrows coming to and forward. The, that, uh, the first missionary journey is the navy and then the tan back and forth. And so he's thinking, let's go out to these churches that we already planted, and let's go on a preaching tour to strengthen these churches. I'll keep reading in Acts 15. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So there's something there to talk about, first of all. We can just dwell on this disagreement and how it sent these people in different directions. Uh, we don't have time to do that. Um, so anyways, Paul and Silas go off, and they're off to do what they set about doing, which is to visit the churches that they had already planted to strengthen them. Uh, Acts 16. Paul came also to Derby, don't I say that, and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And here's the theme again. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. They are doing exactly what they thought they were going to do. And what they're giving to these churches is the resolution that happened in the council in Acts 15. If you look on your map, um, you can see where they're headed. So they set out from Antioch. It's, this is the purple line. And see, uh, you get Lystra and Iconium there. That's where they're hanging out with Timothy. And they've been there before. Everything is going according to plan. You guys good? Okay. Then, they have an idea. Um, they want to go east uh, and southwest with the gospel. Um, so, verse 6 in, in chapter 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And my whole life I've read that and thought China, but you can see on your map what they called Asia. Um, so that's that big fat portion down there, which by the way, um, see all those little dots on your map? Laodicea, Sardis, Pergamum, Smyrna, Ephesus. Those are all the, the churches that Jesus writes to in his letters in Revelation are all clustered in that area, which is fascinating for just thinking about Revelation, but it's also fascinating that Paul is forbidden to preach the gospel there. We'll talk about that more in a second. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, um, 
which I don't think that's on our map. They attempted to go into Bithynia. So look on your map again. Now they want to go north and east because they can't go down <coughs> into these places. They want to go up. Attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Um, here's what sticks out to me about this, first of all. Their intentions were not bad. What they wanted to do was really, really good. Uh, they were one, At this point, they're kind of pioneering new ministry, uh, but they really desired to go to Asia and then Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit forbids them to do so. It literally says that he forbids them to speak the word in Asia. That just needs some contemplation. Um, here's the second thing. How did this happen, and how long of a period of time did this happen? When you read it, it seems like it was like a they like turned a corner and were like resisted or something and went another way. But we have reason to believe that this actually took a long time. So uh, we have no idea what it felt like for them to be forbidden by the Spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit to not preach the gospel somewhere. But most people, uh, you just have to conjecture. It could have been financial. It could have been political. You know, like sometimes in missions work, you get to the place and your visa isn't allowed through or you're deported or you're whatever it would be that they weren't allowed to enter into these places. We have no idea. It could have been a spiritual, like, I just have a bad taste in my mouth. We have no idea. Um, it could have happened over a shorter period of time, but because of the time it would have taken them to go to these places, we know that this was a long process of them trying to go and preach the gospel and do ministry and not being allowed to do it. Fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating. Second thing that sticks out to me is what that must have felt like. We're about to hear where Jesus is going to direct them and lead them, but it had to have felt super frustrating and super foggy. Um, like they were ready. They had all this amazing energy coming out of the Jerusalem council. They had the gospel, and Jesus is literally putting a governor on their ministry for a period of time where they can't do the things that they want to do, which are all about Jesus' name being spread, and he's not letting them do it. Isn't that fascinating? Any thoughts about that before we move on? Yeah, I think you, I, my first thought is just that usually when there's resistance like that, you automatically think it's satanic. Yes. Yeah. It's also weird to think about because I think there's always this presence of like you just go you preach the gospel everywhere. So like why why would the Lord not want you to preach yeah. the gospel in a place? Seems so strange to me because growing up it's just like the God God wants you to preach the gospel everywhere. Everywhere. You yeah. know what I mean? And so to to do this again, it's like whoa, this is strange. Like and, why would to, and Luke has to be he doubles down. He says it twice. He says the Holy Spirit once and then the Spirit of Jesus the second time. So it's like, and it's forbidden. So it's not like, but God directed them elsewhere. It's like, no, you're not allowed to do that. And the fact that they're the churches in Revelation, like Jesus loves the church in Laodicea. They love him, you know. Uh, those are those beautiful, like, remember your first love. But at this point, it's like, you're not, you're not allowed to go there. That's, or that's not where I'm calling you to go. Okay. Let's read on. So, passing by Mysia, however you say that, they went down to Traus. So look at your map. This is so funny. They're not allowed to go into Asia or in Bithynia, so they like 
they like creep along the border, you know, um, down to Trouse, which is a coastal town. You see it there, where they're stopped. So they're hanging out there. They're probably feeling very unfulfilled in their mission work and feeling uh, maybe even doubting and feeling foggy about, I don't know, uh, the efficacy of what the Holy Spirit had called them to do because they're like, they're just meeting, they're being stopped all over the place. Verse nine, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Um, first of all, this is really fascinating because the Holy Spirit does not allow Paul to go north and east into Asia, as we would call Asia. But he stops them and he has them cross over the Aegean into Europe. And it's at this point that the gospel first is planted in Europe and starts to spread in Europe, which is just fascinating uh, thinking about the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in that decision. I don't know. It's really interesting. Um, a couple things about this are fascinating to me. Paul has this, um, he has this dream and he gets up and it, it immediately is definitely a sense of urgency, but also immediately in the Bible uh, can mean other things besides like at that very second. But you notice that here he's using, Luke is the one who's writing Acts and he's using they, 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 and all of a sudden at the bottom of this, it starts using we. So some people think that Luke actually joins Paul and company and Silas at this point because uh, he says, and then we concluded that we were going to go preach the gospel there. So um, that word concluded is uh, coming from like bringing together a lot of things and deciding. And so after this has happened and after all these other the season of this like tamped down ministry and closed doors, they conclude we're going to go to Macedonia. So um, John Stott's commentary on Acts is awesome. And he talks about how this is a really cool story just for discernment, even in these few verses, because it's both like personal for Paul and it's corporate. There's a bunch of people together deciding and experiencing this together. Uh, it's supernatural. He has a vision in the night. And also it's whatever else it felt like to be blocked to not go to Bithynia and to Asia. Um, so it's both closed doors and open doors, both negative and positive, the way that God works in this person's life. Um, and it comes over a period of time. Uh, it's, it comes over a season of just kind of continuing to try to find where an opening is. And finally, God brings them to this port town, and then he opens the door for them to cross. Um, any thoughts about that before we move on? This vision? It's fascinating that I mean, he brings him right to the edge of all those uh, Asian cities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he circles back, gets close again. And, uh, Yeah. He makes it clear across the water. It's fascinating. Yeah, All right. It makes me kind of wonder, like, where is he going? Okay, well, that's what comes next. So this is the cool part. So look at what Macedonia is. There's a lot of maps. 
but I find this great super fun. Macedonia is a huge area. So that would be like somebody from the Midwest in a vision saying, come to the Midwest. Okay, it's not saying come to Philippi, which is where he's gonna end up. It, it is a large, broad, hazy, defined area, okay? So look what he does. So setting sail from Trous, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. So all he does is he's like, okay, we're just gonna go. And I think this is awesome in terms of just seeing how he responds to that call, he just goes. Uh, he doesn't know, like, it would have been easy, I think, to be like, Macedonia, like, where? You know, for the OCD among us, like, I can't just go to Macedonia, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, Paul's crazy, he's Paul of Tarsus, but um, he just goes. And this makes me think it's like vintage Bible calling. Because think of Abraham, go to where? To the land that I will show you. Uh, the first directive to Abraham in Genesis is to just start. Just get moving. And Jesus says, follow me. And he's like, foxes have holes, birds there, you know, have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, I'm on the move. Um, so this is vintage, the way that God works with people, is he calls, he calls Paul into something that's not clearly defined yet, but just to go. Wild. Okay, let me stop and give you a little bit of insight into what happened when I was in your stage of life. My wife and I felt super called to go overseas. We were super passionate about it. And if there would have been an open door, we were like primed and ready. And like we, fit, we felt like not many people are ready to move to like Bangladesh and live in the bush and like minister in rice fields, but like we were dying to. And we were shocked that like no doors were opening up for us. And like I'm related to missionaries and have missionary friends and uh, we were super excited about it but in very practical and spiritual ways like there was just never any open doors we were in wheaton i was working my wife worked at wheaton college i was working at apple and we also had all these times where there were openings at wheaton college where we where we were pretty connected and my wife was kind of uh, i can't even remember the department she worked in student development i think but there was a few jobs that we were like super suited for and well qualified for uh that would have been way better than our other jobs that we applied for that we like beat lots of candidates and we're like you're totally going to get this job we were like sweet and we didn't get any of them <laughs> so we just continually could not like and that wasn't even us saying we wanted to be in wheat forever but we just we just never did uh in that amount of time there was an amazing job offer for us from a church in new mexico that was like awesome and that we were super thrilled about and I'm like obsessed with the West and I've never lived there so that's a dream and it just was not right like I just knew we're not supposed to go to this place and then we were trying hard to go overseas but it never ever ever happened and then when I was probably 25 26 there was a thing called Anglican 1000 do you go to Anglican 1000 you I think you might have been in Boston still were you at Anglican 1000 when it was here? It's when uh, Bob Duncan was still our Archbishop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was this basic meeting, like, way early, first year of this building. And, uh, again, Bob, a previous Archbishop, and it was a meeting of all the Anglicans, and they used our building. 
and we weren't planning on being a part of the ACNA. I was either planning on being England or further where there were less churches. And my wife and I randomly went to this thing, and it's called Anglican 1000 because it's like the goal was for us to plant 1,000 churches in 10 years in the ACNA. And they're talking. My wife and I were like driving home from something. We're like, oh, that thing is at rest tonight. Like, should we go to that? You know? And we walked in, like sat in the back, and uh, Bob Duncan gets up, who I've never met. I don't know any of these people. And I looked total distance, you know, like they all are in collars. I had like a snapback on. And uh, the guy was like, we're going to plant a thousand churches in 10 years. Like, who's going to plant these churches? Where are we going to get leaders to plant these churches? And I literally felt like the room was like pitch black because it was except for the stage but I felt like the Holy Spirit like like turned on a spotlight and was like and I like physically like squirmed in my seat and my wife and I to this day it's hard to imagine like why or like what did that even feel like but we burst into tears in the car on the way home was something like it was like physically I couldn't get out of it and so that was weird and we were like being drawn to res and to a revival of word and sacrament and all this stuff but like i was like i'm not going to stay in wheaton like i'm not gonna stay in the midwest like we're leaving but that started to happen at the same time that all the other stuff started to happen and over time like an iron door we had this crazy reverse missionary experience where it was like you are not called to go overseas and i just had to come like uh one of the things that kept recurring to me, there's a number of scriptures that influenced that for me, but I was f- totally functioning on the basis of like evangelistic math. Like there are less churches and pastors and Christians in Turkey than in Illinois. So why would I stay in Illinois when I could go preach the gospel in Turkey or Bangladesh where there's like not a solid structure of churches? And the thing that was super clear to me that the Lord said to me in that time was, well, my calling for you is not mathematics. And I'll call other people there, but that is not what, that's not the way that this works. And when I read Acts 16, doesn't that come across? For whatever reason, the Holy Spirit was like, I'm not calling you to Asia or Bithynia right now. Sorry. Even if there's like an awesome reason for you to go, even if you want to preach the gospel, I'm calling you elsewhere. So for us, it shifted from this amorphous, we want to go do stuff overseas to, oh my gosh, maybe we're being called to Anglicanism. And then it was a calling to the Diocese of the Upper Midwest. Um, And then from there, it was a calling to realizing, like you said, with bougie white liberals uh, and what Will said with places of cultural influence, realizing, okay, what God is calling us to, the word we had in mind was a cultural high place. Uh, think, think about high places in the Old Testament are where like people gather and sacrifice to gods and all that kind of stuff. We wanted to go where in our culture there was like a cultural high place. And so then we, our discernment, I'm, I'm boiling down lots for you right now, but it goes like that into the diocese. And this is years in the making of Stuart talking to us for the first time about church planning and us being like, wow, and then doing the residency. And even when I did the residency, I didn't know where we were going. And from there, it got boiled down to several places. One was Iowa City, Iowa. One was Madison, and one was Hyde Park. And um, from there, it was, as we'll see here in the next thing, kind of started focusing on certain people. uh, But really clearly, the Lord ended up calling us to Madison through a lot of discernment and visits and years of prayer and everything else. Um, But that came way later. 
Uh, it first was just an utterly shut door that we were just smashing up against. And then this like Holy Spirit tractor beam in a direction that we had no idea where we, we were actually going. But it ended up being Madison. And we actually had people in Madison who had dreams, uh, multiple people in our church who had dreams about something starting. And I remember there was a guy I met when I was visiting and we were kind of there for the first time who was like, yeah, I like feel like something is, I had a dream that something was starting, you know, and then like we came, like just very, very, it was classic Act 16 stuff. But I had no idea. We were like, God chose to disclose that at the very end that we were heading to Madison. Fascinating. Any thoughts about that or questions about our experience just before we move on? Again, sometimes it's different. Sometimes God gives you a place up front like that, but it was very different for us. You visited Hyde Park. Did you visit Iowa City? I'd been to Iowa City more than any of them, so I knew Iowa City really well because one of my best friends went there, and so I spent a lot of time there. So in each of these places, you met with people? Um, we didn't meet. So in our discernment, we, we did connect with people from Hyde Park, yeah. Um, and we did not meet. We didn't get that far with Iowa City. Iowa City was never, honestly, truly a, a full, like it was there as like a helpful, like, yeah, we'll consider it. Uh, but Hyde Park and Madison were the two that were big. And uh, Hyde Park, I think our discernment to Madison, as we'll talk about more in a bit with people, uh, we did have some like Macedonians there in Madison as we started connecting with people who were like, please come. Mm -hmm. And every single person I met with at Madison was like, oh, we need that so bad here. You should come and do that. Like, please, like, you know. Uh, which was wild, and Hyde Park, it just, there was like more closed doors there, and Hyde Park was a case where it just didn't feel right, I think, I don't know. But Madison felt different? Madison, yeah, Madison felt different, and uh, I think the more we started meeting with people, the more like confirmation happened. So my biggest issue, to go back to the reason why I wanted to go overseas with Madison, was that I didn't want to go to a place that had a lot of churches. And Madison is the most post-Christian city in America, this side of the coasts, which is wild, according to these nerds who do statistics like that, and who actually knows. So that's a ridiculous stat, but it looks good for church planning. Um, but aside from that, there's still really good churches there. And there's like really big churches there. And so for me, I felt like, why are we going here if there's other options like there are places that have no options like why aren't we planting churches there paul says in romans 15 my i make it my ambition to preach where christ has not yet been named otherwise i'm building on someone else's foundation and I, like i can't get around that like i am in a way doing that in madison um, when there are places where christ hasn't been named but that comes back to why this has meant so much to me because god was like I'm still calling you to Madison, and there are literally hundreds of thousands of lost people in Madison. Um, and, like, quit worrying about Turkey. Let me worry about Turkey. You know what I mean? Like, that's not your problem. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I think just as we, we started with going there and meeting with so many more people, I was <clears throat> looking for red lights. I was like, give me some red lights. And every single 
leader there or person there who was interested in our church. It was just overwhelming, this steady draw to to Madison. Yeah. Um, during that, because you said this is like a process of yeah. several years, right? Like oh, totally. Years of just, did that? Did those years look like necessarily like you were involved in full time ministry, or were you guys just both working other jobs? Yeah. And, you know, being involved in the church still, doing all those types of things, like, like, because that's kind of my question too. Is like, is this immediate? Like, what does that look like for those kind of in between yeah. years, maybe when you're still? Yeah, great question. It was half and half. So for, for most of the beginning of it, I worked for Apple, and I was finishing my master's. And so I just, yeah. or Starbucks or whatever, I was just yeah. a classic millennial hopping between all these huge corporations. Yeah. Um, and it was great, and it was really significant. And actually, my pastor in England really encouraged me in that. It's like, I think it's wise, you know, to experience a job if you can. I don't think it's necessary, but that was true for us. So we were really heading towards a ministry call while I had a full-time job at Apple for, for years. And that was awesome. It was great. And I loved the ministry I got to do at Apple. Um, then our discernment, okay, we're going to plant with the Diocese of the Ever Midwest, even though we don't know where. And then I started the residency. But when I started the residency, I hadn't yet confirmed where we were going to plant. Okay, let's move on because it gets a lot better and then we'll tie it up all at the end. Okay, unexpected people. Paul gets there, has no idea who he's, he just knows the Holy Spirit has sent him there. Uh, and so he just goes and he does what he does, which if you read the book of Acts, Paul's MO is he goes there, he finds a synagogue and he, he starts with the juice. Um, he starts with where there's kind of a meeting of prayer. So uh, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate at the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So, um, Stephen, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no synagogue here. But he, he imagines the Jews are ga gathering somewhere on the Sabbath. I just got to find where the dispersion is. Well, that always has to be. You have to have running water. The rabbis say in the Talmud that um, first build a mikvah, then build a synagogue. Wow. So you have to have running water. So that's the essential thing you have to have. So if there's no build synagogue, there'll be somewhere with Amazing. So he goes outside to the riverside. See, this is why it's amazing to have Father Stephen around. Where we suppose there was a place of prayer because of the water. Didn't know that before now. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And I love Paul just goes. And the, the way that this would happen is in a synagogue, you know, there wasn't necessarily like a, a sermon series where like a certain person would come and teach. Paul shows up at this place and these women are there. And so he's like, all right. I don't know if I'm supposed to be in Philippi. I know I'm supposed to be in Macedonia, but I'm going to start preaching. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, Thyatara, whatever, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Boom. This is that moment when you follow the Lord's call and all of a sudden you get this Holy Spirit response back. Uh, Acts makes super clear it's the Holy Spirit who's working in Lydia. So God was prior, already had his eye on Lydia. God cared about Lydia. He saw Lydia. He sent Paul to Philippi uh, through the movement of the Holy Spirit to be able to preach the word which sinks into her soul and her entire household is baptized, and she becomes really the leader of this new house church in Philippi. 
So the beachhead has been made at this point, which is amazing. Um, so much cool stuff about Lydia. Um, just to back up a second, before Paul is going, in terms of people, I think we all have people in mind. Like if I um, asked each of you, like, who are the people you feel like you can really minister to best? A lot of us have an idea of a certain type of person that we feel like God is going to use us to speak to. And it's interesting, you know, Paul is such an amazing guy, but it's interesting to imagine who or like what he thought he would be doing when he got to Philippi. Because um, he had to imagine it would be like something. I mean, Paul has been beaten in quite a few places by this point, um, but also has seen some amazing stuff. And so it's, it's just interesting. What did he think was going to happen? Like, whether you like it or not, when I moved to Madison, we had an image in our mind of what was going to happen and who the type of people that we were going to reach. And the first person is Lydia. And I put down here, Lydia, the bougie influencer. <laughs> Because she sells purple goods. She is a elite woman in the city. Um, so she, if she lived today, she would have a good Instagram account and uh, lots of anthropology candles in her house and pottery barn, throw pillows and stuff. Um, but this woman's heart is open to the gospel and invites Paul in and her entire household is baptized, which is amazing. Um, so that's the first. That's the first sign of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The second is the slave girl. I'm taking a little bit of liberty here in saying that she joins this church plant, but so many other people like this slave girl, like Mary Magdalene, uh, end up being a part of the household of faith, so I don't think it's too far of a stretch. Would someone mind reading verses 16 to 24? As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Okay, really quick. Notice they, they keep on going back to the, the place of prayer. And so their tactics are not necessarily like crazy church planning, uh, you know, ninja-like strategy. He just, he just continues to worship at the place of prayer. They, they continue to do the work of the people, if you will. Um, and on the way, he meets this girl. And that word annoyed... Uh, could mean annoyed but it kind of is more like grieved or like brought to breaking point so it's kind of like he's been doing this for a while going to the place of prayer the slave girl's following him and he's like i can't take this anymore and he's like grieved by this girl and so he snaps and calls the demon out of her so keep on going but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone they seized paul and silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And 
And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them, to the, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Awesome. Um, okay, this is super great. Lydia becomes Christian. She baptizes her whole household. Uh, that's like a church planner's dream or like a new ministry's dream, regardless of whatever ministry you're doing. That's like coaching, you know, send out the newsletter to everybody and everybody's going to be like, oh my gosh, the work in Philippi is amazing. Like Paul's awesome, you know. And the second thing that happens through this kind of random event he has with this girl uh, is that they are captured and beaten with rods. And you, you read over that quickly. But verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Um, for us, if any of us that happened to, would be the singular traumatic experience of our life. Um, like we are so used to reading about Paul being beaten up uh, that we forget how insane those two verses are. God calls them to a place and then they get stripped of their clothing and beaten with rods with many blows and thrown into prison. This is what the Holy Spirit called them to do. We'll talk about that more in a second. Lydia's the first person who's highlighted. I would love to include the slave girl in this as well. The slave girl represents the absolute bottom of the cultural pyramid in this world because she's in double bondage, double bondage uh, to a demon and to men who are exploiting her. Um, and there's this business where they're exploiting her to be rich themselves. Uh, if I ever was going to preach on sex trafficking, this would be my text for it. Um, and Paul exercises this woman and kind of messes with this system that they're getting wealthy off of. And uh, that disrupts everything, and he suffers for it. And so do all the people with him. But now you have this girl who's been doing divination, <laughs> who's a, like, let's just for fun include her. And then uh, the next thing that happens is they're in jail. They're suffering. They've been persecuted. And I love that they're singing hymns. It's just like, what? You know, there's so many parts about this that are amazing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And uh, even the fact that it's midnight is bizarre. It's like, you're not tired from your beating, you know? Like, this is amazing. And this, the army, uh, the jailer, apparently in this culture and society, the jailers were usually like army vets. So picture somebody who was at the Trump rally at the White House last night, or the Capitol. Perfect example. The dude, did you guys see the pictures of the guy sitting on Nancy Pelosi's desk? Uh, it's hilarious if you've not seen it. There's just this, like, 
we're talking probably an Iraq war vet or Desert Storm, tattoos everywhere, salty, like unkept. That is the type of person that we're thinking about here, okay? And the Holy Spirit moves in the, in the prison, and then he comes to faith, and the same exact thing happens that happened to Lydia. Did you catch that at the end? Verse 33? Well, verse 32, they spoke the word to him and to all who were in his house. Um, again, there's so much buried in these sentences of drama. How, was that over a period of time? Did he take them back to his house and meet the rest of his household and his family to preach to him? And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. There's a double washing. Isn't that cool? He washes his wounds, and he baptizes them. And he brought them up into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So imagine the, church, the, the first church plant meeting of Philippi. <laughs> Lydia, Pottery Barn and Anthropology, and, uh, you know, a really great Instagram account, the slave girl, uh, and then the guy who stormed the Capitol last night at uh, the, the, you know, the Trump rally. Uh, Marissa and I, my wife, have joked about like the small group meeting where they're all like trying to have like a, a conversation, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like well, you were in the army and the vets like you were possessed, you know, like, what did you do? You know, again, like, well, re you know, like imagine how awkward that would be. Uh, but how beautiful that is, that these are the people that the Holy Spirit sent Paul to minister to. Completely random and different. All of their stories are different in how they happen. Um, but I would have to imagine utterly different than a lot of what Paul had imagined he had gone to do. So let me give you an example of how this has played out for me. Uh, I have here the Cunningham's Cool Kids and Cat Ladies, which I think sounds like a great memoir um, title. Uh, give you a story from when I lived in Wheaton and then some stuff just about Madison. So when we lived in Wheaton, I uh, lived in the trees of Wheaton, which is across the way from Roosevelt Road. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like a little apartment complex. It's before you get to Target. It has little trees that look like Mario trees. Anyways, um, you wouldn't see it unless you saw it. But we lived in the trees of Wheaton, and we felt called to minister to our neighbors. And, uh, but I was always drawn, like, like you said, towards intellectual, liberal, younger millennials. And there's, like, lots of cat ladies in our neighborhood, like, lots, because it's a lot of these just uh, apartments where people have lived forever. But there was this one dude who lived under me. His name was Tony. Tony was literally covered in tattoos, like, up his neck, like, around his face. And they weren't like hipster college tattoos. They were like true like prison tattoos. This dude was a hard, he was like a forgeman at a steel factory. Uh, he smoked Marlboro Reds. He rode motorcycles with like skulls coming out of them and stuff. <clears throat> and he was the guy that I like really wanted to minister to. I was like, oh, I'm going to be friends with Tony. And like, this is going to be such an awesome like gospel friendship. And like people will see Tony coming to church and be like, wow, Scott's an amazing evangelist and like all this stuff. Uh, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but you know you think it too. And I thought it with this person. And so I had given so much of my attention to Tony. But Barb lived across the street. Barb was 93 years old and lived by herself. Uh, there was a guy whose name I think was Don, who uh, had a bad leg and was an alcoholic and was miserable and lonely and would talk to me whenever I could. And there was all these other cat ladies that lived around me who were deeply isolated. 
And one day I just was so struck and convicted by the Holy Spirit that I had been giving so much attention to this guy because I thought he was cool um, and completely missed uh, the people around me. Don the alcoholic with the bad leg, Barb, a cat lady. Um, Jesus and the Holy Spirit show no partiality or focus in this story on certain types of people. And in your discernment to what you're called to do and who you're called to do, sometimes your focus on a certain type of person or situation uh, can utterly blind you to where the Holy Spirit might be moving you to minister to. My wife and I had this massive shift where we were like, we are called to minister to cat ladies. Like, why wouldn't we be? They're the exact same, you know? And we've had the same experience in Madison. So we got to Madison, and Madison is full of millennials. It's an extremely techy, millennial type city. And lots of people uh, that we have tried to minister to that are in that same vein of kind of cool kid world. Um, but our first converts were people who were utterly different than me in their 40s and 50s. Uh, bizarre. We don't have much in common. Like, uh, and, but it's clearly Lydia-type situations where the Holy Spirit is opening up and God is ministering to them. And so I think the people, not the combination of the Holy Spirit guiding them to Philippi, but then the people that are reached in Philippi through the Holy Spirit's direction of what he wanted to happen and who he wanted to focus on, that ended up getting into Holy Scripture uh, is deeply challenging to me in terms of following the Holy Spirit and how we think about the people that we want to minister to. Any thoughts on that? Just these, this group of people? Or the way that things have panned out for Paul at this point? In uh, church planning, you have like your first meeting, you talk to everybody individually, and they all have like an idea of what it's going to look like. In your first church plan meeting, everybody's eyeing each other because they're like, who else is a part of this? You know, and you're seeing like, do I like these people? Do I like this group? And we all do that. But I imagine Lydia, because we know that the he comes back around to Lydia's house where the, the church ends up being based out of her house. It's like, what does Lydia think, you know, when the dude comes in? You know, like, I just can't imagine... Yeah, the dynamics there are fascinating to me. Okay, unexpected means. I just want to point this out, and then we'll talk about it in the remainder of our time. Part of the way that all of this happened is because God called Paul into suffering. It's your first blank. No getting around it. I mean, half of this story is their persecution and their suffering, but then also 
what happens as they are imprisoned uh, because of their faithfulness. And that's just humbling. Jesus promised it. Jesus promised it to Paul. The one of the things he says to Paul when Paul converts on the road to Damascus, uh, he, Paul, he's blinded, and then Jesus says, "I'm going to says to Ananias, I'm going to show him how much he he's going to suffer for my name." So a part of the way that the gospel breaks forward in a new thing happening is the suffering that they enter into at the hands of the Romans, which is fascinating. And uh, I think of any great work, if you look at any, follow any missionary story biography or you talk to anybody here at Res, uh, suffering is a part of ministry and it's a part of what God calls you to when you're discerning a place. And you don't know what it will be sometimes. And that has been true for Marissa and I, and it has borne fruit amazingly. Um, this is hilarious. I gave you two blanks here. When I first made this, I had something for that second blank. I forgot what it was. <laughs> but here's something else I think they're called into that you can put in this blank is blind faith. Those two things stick out to me. One is they're, they're called to into suffering, but they're also called into a faith that really does not see too far ahead of where they're at. Um, and again, all of this births the church at Philippi. <laughs> and like really the beginning of the gospel sweeping across Europe. Uh, and the, the book written to the church at Philippi. I mean, think of what comes out of this beginning of this movement. Fascinating. Okay, here's three final questions for us to just talk about in our remaining 12 minutes. I don't have, like, answers that I'm waiting for you to say. I, I genuinely just want to talk about this. Question one, what did God give Paul in order to make his decisions? What did he withhold? What did he not give Paul? to do a certain thing you really wanted to do, but an invitation elsewhere. Yeah? He didn't give him a sense of direction when he arrived in Macedonia, but he did give him a contact. Yeah, a person of peace. Isn't that fascinating? Um, like, maybe the Holy Spirit gave him more specific direction, but we don't get that, and I think that's for a reason. He just knew I'm supposed to go to Macedonia. Ascending to this place, but the it's ascending this place in the power of the spirit. So yeah, it's not just um, so the sufferings involved, but there's also an authority yeah. that's given uniquely to him to, to minister to the people there. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a great point.
let's talk about the second one. What practices or strategies did Paul implement in order to bring about the work in Philippi? So this is the, uh, how does one go to Philippi and start a new work? How does, how do you, you know, what does it look like to pioneer ministry or whatever? And by the way, that this, think about this for whatever type of ministry you might be doing, even if it's not church planning. But what did Paul do? So what would you, th this is part of the point of why I think it's helpful to study this because uh, in church planning books, it's all about the wisdom of strategy and how to do things. And I don't see a lot of it in the story. So yeah, keep on going. Well, yeah, there's, so there's no strategy. He just kind of, uh, he really just goes to a place to uh, worship God on the Sabbath. And he's seeking out people who he could worship sense of like plan, no sense of um, yeah, just uh, again, strategy. And then as it all unfolds, it doesn't unfold according to a strategy, it just unfolds according to God's work. It's like God supplies all of what a you know textbook on strategy might want to try to supply for you. Mm -hmm. the, the, the strategy kind of textbook tries to make things Too, where I mean, the whole thing begins with Paul kind of in the humility of being told you're forbidden to go to these places. Yeah, he listens to this dream. Yeah, and I feel like that in itself can be kind of it's like an act of faith because it's like, oh, that's it's just a it's just a dream. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just kind of. But he was very attentive to like the the power of the Lord to call you in these things, and. And of course he did that then also with they made a decision concluding together, right? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't just his individual dream, but like um, I felt yeah. with, the, with the other people he was with, but I thought that was interesting too. Yeah. things that stick out to me about Paul is is he goes and he worships I think is really interesting that that's just and if you look at all these other places he goes there he finds the synagogue or the place of prayer and he just gets to work but his his task is he preaches he, he preaches the gospel so he goes into this place and he just speaks it and when it, something happens first with Lydia there's like it just goes and it finds a place in her um, and the other thing that really sticks out to me alongside what we're talking about, about it's not predictable and everything, is Paul's flexibility to keep his eyes open to see where and how the Spirit is moving um, is really amazing. And I can say in ministry and in discernment sometimes it's very easy to have an idea of what you think you're supposed to do and just be so focused on that and miss sometimes what God is doing around you or what, what he might be calling you to. And I can say in pastoral ministry, there's a way that you can really focus on certain people that you're like trying to reach or minister to. 
Um, and they're like, no, you know, it's like the people who don't want to come to the feast. And Jesus' parable is like, no, my, you know, I got to bury my dad or I just bought a cow or whatever. But then other people are like, I'm starving, please. Like, can I come down and sit at the table? And uh, you see Paul, he doesn't care who it is. It's like Lydia, sweet. Um, jailer and his household, awesome. Like, this is for everyone. He's just open to where the Holy Spirit is moving um, instead of being close to a certain type of thing that he just kind of ramps his head into that this is what I'm going to do in Philippi and this is how it's going to happen. Okay. Five minutes. There are so many things from this I think that we could chat about, but I would love to just finish by saying what conclusions can we draw about discerning and following a gospel call into ministry for, for you all, particularly you three right now and what you're thinking about in your future. Here's the first thing I would say is that God does call you and, and lead you into something. Uh, I think we cannot read this and conclude that God doesn't care about people and places and movements and what he has personally gifted you to do. Right? Can we all agree with that? I mean, it'd be easy to say, well, it's just for the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was a special person, uh, but all of us are being sent. So God cares. And... Uh, I think Paul is so attentive that he is attuned to what the Holy Spirit wants him to do. And I think if we are likewise, God cares about you too. And he cares about people that he wants you to reach, like Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer. So, yeah, what, is this, what does this mean for the future years for you all as you are in Gregory House and in a ministry residency and discerning?
So what does this teach you about that experience? With because Paul had that experience too, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't teach me something. Uh, um, doesn't teach what I want, which is like a, a clear sense of yeah, you know, a, a clear write up of like here, here's what you're going to do, and I'm like man, I it's it's kind of a hard lesson to think I might have to just settle in and let the details be worked out over like 15 years or something like that, yeah. and, and just be like you know try to learn to be content with vagueness mm. for a really long time, and then I might look back and be like, oh my gosh, it's so weird. But, um, I feel like. For me, I, I found comfort, and I wonder if this would be comforting to you and your wife as well, too, is that the times that it felt foggy for Paul, God was, the fog wasn't uh, a sign of God's inactivity in his life yeah. and direction. Um, and I felt that for a long time when I was leading up to my time at Res, but there wasn't a, it, we did not plant our church a year too soon or a year too late. I was not ready before then. And uh, it was just the right time. But there were years of me, I felt like I like was like on a football team with pads on. And I was like, coach, put me in, put me in, put me in. And like I was just on the sidelines for like years. Um, but I think this is a, an encouragement in some ways to feeling like you're in a discernment fog. Because again, leading up to a vision and leading up to a lot of concluding, yeah. uh, must have been, it must have felt foggy like I'm like what am I doing out here I can't like I'm everywhere he goes trying to go to Asia blocked tries to go to Bithynia blocked you know that's been comforting to me another thing that I was was thinking about is just in the in the realm of like what it talks about how the Lord called Paul into suffering right and there's that call, and it's like, there's a level in which, like, when I think about, like, because you try and picture, like, your ideal place, right, where you yeah. wanted to finish or whatever, kind of like you were talking about, and it's just kind of like, I always have to ask myself, like, is this ideal to me because I feel like it'll be comfortable? Yeah. And so, like, just that idea that, like, I'm sure that call to go over to Macedonia couldn't have felt more uncomfortable in some ways, because it's like, this is not at all what we set out to do really like yeah. I wanted to go to these places um, and so I think there's an aspect of like you know a prayer and asking the Lord like is this place that can I is a place that I'm kind of feeling inclined to right now is this something that is like an inclination that you're giving me into this place or is this just a place that feels like I don't know more comfortable yeah and there'll be less Any thoughts, Addie or Will, just as we close here? I definitely have a lot of ideals in terms of discernment, and I think in praying for discernment, I often want the Lord to kind of bless the ideal that I already have. Mm. And when it doesn't happen that way or there's the fogginess, it's easier to kind of sit and wait until the, the fog goes away and mm. there's a clear path. But learning so much about the call to go, and Paul models that so well. He doesn't just turn around and go back where you came from. He 
continues to go and it's it just moving without knowing where the wind leads that he actually opens the door. So mm. yeah, it was a, a huge encouragement to me. Mm. Will, any thoughts before we pray? Um, yeah, it's, it's just striking that he only has this one big vision in this whole discernment story. He traveled a lot of miles. Yeah. Just that one dream. I think that's that's helpful for me to contextualize my own desire for a clear dream like that. Yeah. But there's a lot of direction that happens without that. for us. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love being a part of what you're doing. Lord, it is our joy that we get to be sent. That we think about the rest of our life and think about the fact that we are princes and princesses and sons and daughters uh, in a kingdom that is moving and expanding and is fighting evil and vanquishing darkness. And you call us to be a part of it. Lord, we, we are thrilled by the invitation into a life of ministry as Christians, whether or not that ministry is vocational and comes with a salary or not. Oh, Lord, we love it. And Lord, we see how miserable it would be to forget that and to start living for ourselves. And so, Heavenly Father, keep us from being entangled in civilian affairs. Help us to be good soldiers of Jesus, to keep our eyes on the prize. And I pray for Matt and Addie and Caleb especially in this next season of their life, uh, that you would lead them and call them to where you would have them go. Uh, Lord, give them everything they need for the journey in the Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, we pray for people to discern with them. We pray for dreams. We pray for scriptures. We pray for uh, helpful closing of doors and helpful invitation and opening of doors. Um, and Lord, I pray for a sense that uh, right now they are a part of your kingdom work and ministry, that they don't have to wait, that it's live, um, so that you are always leading us and you are always calling us to keep open eyes right now. Um, now is the time of ministry. Um, so I thank you for their heart to come and be a part of Gregory House and the ministry residencies. Lord, we pray that you would establish the work of their hands uh, in the years to come. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.